You're listening to After the Show, the Signals Everywhere podcast, where we teach you everything you need to know about software-defined radio. Today, we'll be talking about why you should not throw away that hardware scanner once you start playing with software-defined radio. I'll be your host, uh, Corrosive, here with Signals Everywhere, and we have our guest host today, Loki. Uh, Loki, if you would. Good afternoon, good morning, or whatever you are. Um, my name's Loki, or as I'm known in the Signals Everywhere community as Merlin. My real name is Ray. You can find me on Twitter under twitter.com forward slash cursory username. Thank you for that great introduction, Loki. It's great to finally have you on the show as our co-host. And so with that said, let's jump right into the show. So in my case, when I first got into software to find radio, I already had some hardware-based scanners. Now, a lot of people getting into the hobby today, they may have had a, uh, a hardware scanner prior, or this might be your first time ever being introduced to radio communications. In today's episode, I really want to touch on the fact that uh, hardware scanners are so amazingly important when it comes to playing around with the radio hobby. And while software-defined radios are amazingly uh, useful with you know the ability to pull things down in a waterfall and see a wide swath of bandwidth, they certainly do have some pitfalls. And so I wanted to touch on a lot of the things that you can do with a hardware scanner that you just simply can't do with a traditional software-defined radio. Um, hardware scanners have an advantage, in, in my opinion anyway, have the advantage in that they don't require you to have a phone or a computer with you. So you're not required to pack a laptop as well as a phone so you can see the waveforms and so on. That is just, you know, it's a really good point, um, especially when you start going out mobile. Um, traditionally, when I play around with SDR, I'm in the car or I'm, you know, at home uh, with a laptop. But I see more and more people using their cell phones um, when they go out scanning with a software-defined radio. And as much as these SDR apps for Android and iOS are, you know, so amazingly helpful to have, they are, at least in my opinion, very, very clunky compared to a traditional hardware scanner. And there's just really no comparison when it comes to mobile, uh, you know, signal hunting. Uh, you're going to have uh, a lot easier time finding something with a real hardware scanner. Absolutely. And there's also things like um, some Uniden versions have close call, which is pretty much just um, a, a frequency counter, pretty much. It just picks up on localized contacts and automatically brings it up for you. There, I have yet to see an SDR that is capable of doing that independently of a computer, for example. You know, and then the next thing I have to say really is more based on the fact that they can scan through their banks or scan through a range a whole lot quicker than a traditional SDR can. You know, so if you just to set up your, your small um, range, off it goes, that's it, and it keeps going and going and going, depending on your squelch level and stuff like that. Absolutely. And, you know, that's the big thing with with a lot of this is, you know, the hardware scanner, when it comes to scanning, you know, it has, you know, physical hardware there. It's it's made to do this and they can scan through things very rapidly. And while I have seen scanning improve with software defined radio um, in case with the uh, the SDR Uno um, series of RSP uh, SDR play software defined radios, um, they've done a lot of things right with their scanning. However, um, at the end of the day, you're relying on you know a full-blown computer, and I haven't even seen this available for a phone, so you're really relying on a full-blown PC to be able to not only pull in that large swath of bandwidth, but rapidly tune across it. So as Loki had mentioned here, we have um, something really interesting with our hardware scanners is something called either Close Call or Signal Stalker. And essentially what this does, like you had mentioned, is it's essentially a, a, a frequency counter. So 
let's say you want to go out into an area and just look for new signals that maybe you want to come back later with an SDR to try and decode or play around with, uh, but you don't know exactly what you're looking for. You're just trying to find new interesting signals. This is where these hardware scanners really come into play very nicely. Uh, Close Call and uh, Signal Stalker, depending how they're set up on your scanner, you can set these up for all bands or individual bands, and essentially just looks for whatever signals are in your area that are the strongest. So when you're walking around in your area, say somebody keys up at 144 megahertz, as long as the signal is strong enough, it's immediately gonna lock onto that signal, display that frequency, and then play the audio for you. Uh, you know, in contrast, a few moments later, maybe you have, uh, you know, an officer or something driving by talking on 800 megahertz, your scanner is going to immediately lock onto that, display that frequency and play that audio for you as well. And it just becomes very, very intuitive way to go out and find signals. Whereas with a software defined radio, as amazing as they are, you're not going to be able to move around the band like that. You're, you're very limited in these um section or slice of bandwidth that you're looking at at a given time and with a hardware scanner you just you don't have that limitation yeah absolutely with sdrs you're stuck usually to your little 10 megahertz bandwidth pre that you've pre-selected you know whereas you can set a hardware scanner up to scan from 400 megahertz all the way up to 500 if you so wished and off it would go whereas with an sdr you're just scanning in whatever parts 5 megahertz 10 megahertz so on and so on and so on and you you're manually flicking through versus having a piece of hardware that automatically does it for you absolutely and with that hardware you know you also get added benefits such as you know a uh, a signal meter in a lot of cases I know uh, a lot of you guys, if you watch these Signals Everywhere YouTube channel, uh, you've probably noticed that I've been playing around a little bit with the Kerberos SDR, uh, which is a 4SDR coherence uh, software-defined radio. Um, one of its main uses is for radio direction finding. And while having an array for direction finding can be very useful, once you start getting closer to a uh, given signal that you're hunting, it tends to appear um, like it's coming from everywhere because the signal is so strong on top of those receiving antennas, you can't get a good bearing. So traditionally, you have to get out of the vehicle and walk around um, you, with some sort of handheld device so that way you can find uh, more accurately the location that signal is coming from. And with an SDR, you're going to have a really hard time doing that. But with a traditional scanner, um, assuming you have that set up for your given frequency and you have the proper antenna on it, you can look at that S meter and it'll give you a very, um, very accurate uh, depiction of how strong that signal is coming into your receiver. So as you walk around one direction to the next, um, it's very easy to see whether or not you're moving in, in the correct direction and that signal is either getting stronger or weaker. As you're hunting the signal, you would have obviously have the, clo the scanner close to your body. And as you're sort of rotating around, rather than having the audio going out loud, you can simply just look down at, at the actual S meter and look so on obviously where some people are looking around and they don't have an S meter. They will just listen to how strong the signal is. But with an S meter, it allows you to have the audio turned down, which gives you that slightly little bit more of an edge of discretion if you're hunting for, let's say, somebody who's messing around with your repeater. For example, you know, you're walking along, you've got the radio turned down, you're not going to have heads turning at you. They just generally ignore you. Absolutely. And, you know, likewise, you're also going to run into a situation where, let's say you do want to listen to the audio, 
but the audio sounds, at least to your ear, very similar regardless of the direction you're moving. You might not notice a 1 dB change in RF signal coming into the radio, but that S meter more than likely will. People might ask you, what is an S meter? Well, the S is simple. It sounds, it's short for signal and is used to um, provide the received signal level, um, which is an indication of the strength of an incoming signal, for example. Um, S meters are calibrated pretty much in the same fashion with two different scales. The first two thirds of the meter in range is calibrated in what's called um, S units, which is a linear scale of zero to, I believe, nine. And the units are read off as S1, S2, S3, so, so on, all the way up to S9. And uh, generally means that a signal is producing about 100 microvolts or so. And so, and you know, now that you mentioned the the S units, that's something a lot of uh, people out there might be familiar with if they happen to be amateur radio operators, uh, especially in the form of HF uh, radio operation. You'll typically hear people, hey, you know, you're five nine, you're you know, you're you're four over, you know, S nine, um, and they're basically letting you know, hey, your signal is extremely strong coming into my receiver, and so that's essentially how your S meter is going to function on that. Um, hardware radio. And anytime you're working with software-defined radio, your your best indication of how strong a signal is, is looking at where it falls in dB on that waterfall. And unfortunately, it's just not very accurate. Um, you could have a radio, you know, sitting on top of you, and it's going to be blowing out your front end. You're going to have no idea if that's just a really strong signal six miles from you, or if it's somebody pushing one watt right behind you. And so having that S meter is just incredibly useful to see uh, a little more accurately uh, the strength of a given signal. And um, looking through Google as well, there are a number of old sc old scanners that you can buy on eBay for uh, relatively cheaply, such as the old Pro 2042, which is what the one I have. And looking through old text files, for example, there are loads of S meter scans, uh, S meter modifications that you add into it that gives you an actual physical S meter to add. So you're not just relying on the LCD. Absolutely. And you know, you really don't have to break the bank at all um, when you when it comes to this sort of thing. Uh, you can typically find a scanner for about the same price as your SDR. And in many cases, it, it could have been a, a two or three hundred dollar scanner at the time of its production. Um, like Loki said, with some of the S meter uh, modifications, I happen to have a Pro 2006, uh, which is a pretty old desktop scanner, but extremely sensitive. Um, it's great for things like listening to SATCOM and stuff because it is just so wideband. It'll actually go from uh, somewhere in VHF all the way up to, I think, 1.2 gigahertz. So it's a very wideband receiver with no gaps. You can listen clear across the board. So I love this scanner. And like Loki said, with these S-meter modifications, I have actually seen, and I, I can't remember where I'll put a link in uh in the show notes here, but there's a book that goes into all these modifications for the Pro 2006 scanner, one of which is where you can put in nine LEDs into the front of that display, wire them up with, I think, an Arduino, and you can actually build an S meter directly into that radio. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that way, again, you're not reliant on having a computer switched on. So you may be in a low power situation, for example, and you want to be able to hear around what's going on around you don't necessarily want to be able to switch your computer on or waste your laptop battery or waste your phone battery on powering your SDR long term. So a lot of these scanners have modifications for them to be able to have external batteries or in a lot of cases you have actual handheld ones that accept 
a whole broad range of batteries from nine volts right up to double A batteries. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's that portability that comes in so handy. I know that when I start playing around with software defined radio or amateur radio satellites and things of that nature, uh, it becomes difficult once you bring that hobby outdoors to do so in kind of a low key environment. You end up with a lot of people who, um, you know, they're staring at you, wondering what you're doing. And, you know, if you're walking around your neighborhood looking for various signals, you might not be doing anything nefarious, but you don't really want to have that attention brought onto you to have to try and explain what you're doing. And so to be able to set the frequency band that you want to listen to, throw that scanner into your pocket and just put on a headset or some earbuds and be able to listen to all of these things going on around you um, without walking around with, say, a phone in one hand, an SDR and a directional antenna in the other. Um, it just, it, it yeah, and it just it really adds to what you can do with uh, the radio hobby. You're not quite so limited in having to you know lug out all this other hardware. Absolutely, especially in this security so-called security conscious age, where you know people will see that kind of thing as suspicious, and you know you are likely to get attention. Yes, that you're not doing anything illegal generally, but it's always best just not to have that interaction anyway. That's just my opinion anyway. Absolutely. And, and and this could be anything from just a minor annoyance to somebody thinking that, I mean, and I've had it happen before, where, you know, I'm uh, just, you know, going around listening to various signals. I'm trying to find the location of, you know, a uh, an interfering source of some type. And I've had people walk up to me thinking I'm listening to their phone or something because, hey, you know, you've been walking around the block for an hour. What are you doing? Well, I'm not doing anything. You know, it, it's it's me just seeing what's out here. It's me looking for an interfering signal. And you get these people who they see something that to them looks odd and, and they're going to question what's going on. And it's it's best that if you can avoid that, um, you know, you, you may as well take advantage of, of the portability and 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 do so. And so with that being said, I wanted to turn our attention to the rtl-sdr.com blog, where Carl has announced that his uh, first batch of Kerberos SDRs are nearing the end of stock, and they are taking discounted pre-orders for the next batch coming out. Uh, If you're not familiar with the Kerberos SDR, it is a four RTL SDR coherent software-defined radio used for direction finding and passive radar. And I'm sure as the software improves and is developed over time, we'll be able to do a lot more with these software-defined radios in the future. So I'll leave a link in the show notes here if you're interested in picking one of these up. Um, At the time of this recording, there are only nine of these units left in the first batch. Um, They retail for $150 US on Indiegogo, and the discounted price is at only $130. So you are getting a 13% discount if you pre-order out of batch two. And there are seven out of a thousand of those currently claimed. So there's plenty of room for you to pick one of these up at the discounted price if you're interested. And we're going to head over to uh, Loki here, who has also picked out an interesting article uh, that he'd like to kind of share with you guys. Uh, before we get back onto our topic of hardware scanners. So looking back on the blog, um, there was one that was very interesting. It was on the April April 5th of this year. Uh, the NUT2NT open source GNSS RF to bits receiver. Um, so looking uh, through, uh, in May 2018, they posted, posted about a Mongo Navigations NUT4NT project, which is a four-channel global navigation satellite system based on a certain chipset, the NT1065, with the right antenna 
is capable of receiving any navigation information from all different constellations such as GPS, GLONASS, Galileo, Fado, IRNSS, and QZSS. And it's got multiple access to multiple satellites. And they're currently crowdfunding for their uh, new board, which is currently down at $250 and the normal price being $320. Um, compared to the legacy version, they say it also has a FPGA, uh, a TCXO, a temperature-controlled crystal, uh, a local oscillator, and a BIST and other improvements. Um, they've sort of brought it on, and they've also used uh, the higher-end four channels can be used as a coherent receiver as well, which can be used to locate sources of GPS jamming. As in the car, uh, there's a video at the bottom of it. XNZR is searching for Moscow GPS spoofing anomaly. So you can see around the Kremlin where they've highlighted hotspots for GPS spoofing. So that's a really cool article. I wasn't actually aware of that particular um, project. You know, I go through the RTL blog all the time. Somehow I must have missed that one. It's really interesting to see that they're using that as a four uh, coherence uh, receiver, tracking GPS uh, interference and jamming. That's a pretty cool way of doing that. I wouldn't have thought to set something up that way. And I'm sure... Um, that may be in relation to a lot of the the rushing jamming that's been talked about here recently. Um, I think they said it was uh, supposedly uh, Vladimir Putin's been traveling with a mobile GPS jammer um, for protection against uh, ballistic missiles and things of that nature. So I would imagine that this would be one way to try and counter that by tracking exactly where the signal of that jammer is coming from. Because anyone who's familiar with uh, GPS and other navigational satellite systems, uh, you likely know that those signals are incredibly weak. And so if somebody's jamming or spoofing those on a terrestrial um, you know, surface, it's going to be a lot easier to find that signal because it's going to be amazingly strong in comparison. Uh, it sounds like this is the perfect project to try and hunt down something of that nature. Absolutely. And it, it also puts the little bit of power back into the normal man's hands, which is always a good thing, in my opinion, not to get too political, but I think it's always nice to know what people are up to on our behalf or on other people's behalf, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's just another one of those projects where you can, you know, gather your own information without having to rely on some third party. So it's a really cool project to see out there. And, of course, we'll have links in the show notes to that if you're interested in that project as well. Going back to our hardware scanner discussion for the day, I also wanted to mention, you know, a big difference between uh, analog scanners and digital scanners. And I think this is a lot of what turns people off to a hardware scanner in the first place. A digital scanner, which is what we see most of the time on the market, just because they are the newer standard, is you're going to be paying five, six, seven hundred dollars or more for that digital scanner because it supports DMR, P25, 1 and 2, and a number of other digital modes, but you don't necessarily have to spend that kind of money. Uh, In the terms of digital modes, you can use something like DSD Fastlane or just the traditional DSD Plus application to decode all of those with software-defined radio. But this, of course, comes back to our topic before on portability. You're not going to have that ease of use where you can just walk around your uh, local area and listen to these systems. If you've ever seen uh, my YouTube video, and I'll leave a link in the show notes to where I put all this software-defined radio equipment in my car, I'm actually using a a full-blown Windows computer to decode the P25 Phase 1 system in my area. And I do this because it's cheaper. 
but it's not very portable or practical. Um, so there is that convenience in having a hardware scanner. Now, that being said, just because they make scanners that are digital doesn't mean you have to buy a digital scanner if you want to have things like close call and fast scanning. You can very easily go on eBay or go on Amazon and find these old scanners. I myself use a Pro 97 scanner, which is, um, I think it was an old Radio Shack brand, and this thing will do uh, all kinds of different modes for me. I myself use a Pro 97 scanner. No, I don't. I use a 96. I myself use a Pro 90. No, it is. God damn it. What is it? <laughs> I myself use a Pro 96 scanner, which is um, amazingly cheap nowadays. It'll do analog. It'll do AM. And it'll scan all across the band for me with that close call functionality. And you can buy these without breaking the bank. So you do get really the best of both worlds when it comes to portability and using a hardware scanner. And if you really need digital, you can either go for that digital scanner or fall back on the amazing tool that we have, which is software-defined radio. And so one of the final topics I want to touch on here is the state of repairability between the small components in a software-defined radio and a scanner itself. And so I'm going to go ahead and let Loki take it away from here, and then we'll move on to our final closing points. With the hardware scanner, it's a simple case of unscrewing the case and in you go and you usually greet it with some nice through hole technology. I mean, there'll be some surface mount and stuff there, but mostly, you know, if you've blown a capacitor, that's awesome, man. I'm just going to go in, unsolder one. I'm going to pick one up for 20 cents and all 20 euros or 20 euros, 20 P or whatever, 20 euro cents. And it goes back on you go versus the brand new Lime SDR minis, which people have to send in to dedicated repair shops, and they'll be there for months, for example, for people who do work on the surface mount. You know, I generally find it's a little bit easier. And there's also the fact that um, you can have modifications, like my Pro 2042, for example. It's got just well, the one, it, well, my one doesn't. There is an internal antenna, which I've taken out because it was snapped anyway. And I've just sold it on... Um, a BNC pigtail, which I've also done a chassis connection to. I'll put pictures in the show notes. There's a, there's a BNC pigtail on it. So now it's got two antennas as opposed to just a broken in, an internal antenna and an external one. You wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do that with an SDR. I wouldn't be able to give myself two antennas to do things, you know? If my SDR breaks, you pull it open and you have all these amazingly tiny parts and, you know, the tip of your screwdriver would probably pluck six of them off of there. Whereas if you have a problem with a hardware-based uh, radio scanner, uh, the components are much easier to work with. They're easier to source and replace. And you run into a situation where you can fix something that otherwise you'd probably end up throwing in the trash. And with that being said, I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. If you'd like to get access to any of the show notes and other things that we've spoke about on uh, today's episode, please go over to SignalsEverywhere.com slash podcast, and you'll be able to find all of our episodes, including this one, and the show notes for everything that we talked about over the course of the episode. 